Good day, everyone, and welcome to Blowing Cartridges, the gaming podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tam, and joining me as always is my good friend, Zach Clark. And today we have a special guest in Josh because we're going to dive into, for once for our podcast, actually, we're diving into a topical discussion point, and that is the recently released Metroid Dread that released on October 6th just last month. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm glad to be here. Now, it's fantastic to have you on because we know that you're both a big Metroid fan or 2D Metroidvania fan and a I Metroid am. fan in particular. So we really want to dive into both the game itself and what our thoughts about it and also a lot of, I guess, what the general feedback of Metroid Dread has been and also dive into the genre itself and I guess how Metroid Dread itself is indicative of the genre that the series itself or the series has created and has given its name to. Yeah, definitely. So kicking off, I guess we'll start with you because you're the guest, Josh. I guess what what are your overall thoughts with Metroid Dread? If you were to synthesize it into, I guess, a couple of minutes or so, what? because I think we all have finished the game, so we can all come to the table as mm-hmm. players who have played the game through to its end. So I guess what thoughts were you left with after finishing it? Look, I'm I'm very much happy that it exists. I mean, any... Any new Metroid game that gets the popularity that this game is getting is fantastic in my book because it just means more of the series that I love so much. Um, when it comes to Dread in particular, look, I, I enjoyed it. I don't feel as though it will leave a big impression on me, and it hasn't. But I these days I do enjoy um, 2D Metroids in, in a different way through watching people play speedrunning and whatnot. So, you know, I get a different type of enjoyment. But as a game by itself, yeah... It didn't do anything particularly um, memorable for me, but um, but yeah, I guess we can kind of delve into that as as we go. Zach, what did you think? Yeah, I I probably haven't got as much history with the series as as you have, um, but I guess maybe that's why I really enjoyed it, and it was a bit more impactful for me. Um, you know, for context, I guess I've played or dabbled in Metroid, but I've only finished the uh, infamous Other M prior <laughs> to Dread, so my benchmark is that if that makes sense yeah. high benchmark yeah uh so so yeah to me it was you know one of the few times when a metroidvania has i must have either been in the right mindset or there's something about it that really hooked me so i actually saw it you know through to completion you know with as, as quickly as i could with the amount of gaming time i had so yeah i, I you know obviously have pretty high praise to sing about it and i think i know brendan you might be in a similar boat to me but i'll let you uh let you explain. Yes, I, I I guess from the outset, I thoroughly enjoyed Metroid Dread. And I guess my experience with the series is a bit more than yourself, Zach. Because I guess I'm not as much experienced with the Metroidvania genre as a whole. Like there's games I've played here or there. But, well, the Metroid series in general, I haven't touched any of the Prime games. Haven't touched Metroid uh, Other M. But I have played all the 2D games except Return of Samus on the Game Boy I have played Samus Returns on the 3DS, the Remax, so I kind of count that as playing all the main 2D Metroid games. And I guess I'm a bit of an outlier in that I'm a player who... I wasn't able to finish Super Metroid, and we'll get into that in our next point when we're talking about <laughs> how this game sits in the overall series, which I know is a bit of a controversial view. But my favourite has always been Metroid Fusion. I think, to echo Josh's comments, I think I see Metroid Dread in very much that light. I think... It probably has done a great deal for the franchise, but if people are thinking about best Metroid games, I think it's going to, like, Super Metroid will still be up there, and 
like some people will say fusion and but that's a bit of an outlier and i think from now on some people will say dread but that will also be a bit of an outlier because i think there's strengths to the game like fusion it but there's also some weaknesses as well and there's some there's definitely some design choices that could have been a bit more refined i think and the experience could have been a bit tightened but i think as an overall package i really enjoyed it and as a switch gamer nearly first and foremost alongside pc gaming has been a welcome breath because there really hasn't been any major releases for nearly two years honestly if we discount things like animal crossing and the like there hasn't really been like these big tentpole games and metroid dread has really filled that role i i think so i guess i I may as well transition to the point and i'll start with you zach because i guess you've only really played the prime games in metroid other end but I guess, firstly, have you had any experience with any of the other 2D games? Did you ever try to play them and dropped off? And firstly, how do you see Dread fitting into the franchise? And how do you see, how do you think it compares to the other Metroid games that you have experienced? Yeah, no. Um, so, as I said, I, I played and finished Other M. That was um, the only one I've completed. And I think I 100%ed it for whatever reason. I don't know why, but that game at least hooked me enough <laughs> at, at that time in my life. <laughs> As for others, I, I've dabbled with them in virtual console or something along those lines uh, back in the Wii era, um, or maybe on 3DS a couple of them. But no, again, no more than maybe like, you know, 20 minutes before something else, you know, either caught my eye or, or uh, I swapped over. With the exception, I guess, of Samus Returns, where I maybe got uh, maybe halfway um, on 3DS, but never never fin- went back and finished it. Uh, I found uh, certain aspects of that game mostly just the melee combat in that to be quite frustrating, I would say. Whereas the older Metroids, I I don't know if it's that I didn't, I don't think it's that I didn't like them. I just think I was not in the right mindset to sit down and uh, delve deep into them. Uh, and a couple of them, like the NES one though, that I personally think has aged a bit too much for me. I probably should try Zero Mission at some <laughs> point. That might be a bit more my up my speed. But yeah, like Super Metroid, when I tried that, I yeah, just I don't think I was in the right mindset. Whereas you know now, after playing Dread, I'm I'm in a pretty, pretty heavy Metroid mood, and I'm definitely considering going back and uh, playing through at least the core five, I guess. Oh, and I guess I should say I've played Blast Ball on 3DS. Does that count? <laughs> I don't know. I've played some Blast Ball. <laughs> uh, but what about you, Josh? It sounds like you've played all the Metroids quite a bit, uh, if I'm correct, based on what you were saying before yeah look i wouldn't i wouldn't say all of them um blast ball considering but i definitely played uh all of the, ma- <laughs> the main entries yeah look a brief metroid history for myself and i mean you'll hear this and you'll you'll know that i kind of look at the look at the metroid series with a bit of bias but my first video game ever was super metroid um auntie mm-hmm. bought me both a super nintendo and super metroid at the same time and i was like what what even are video games and that completely changed my life so from then i kind of hooked me immediately and you know, as a as a kid, you you invest a lot more time into something, even if it's frustrating and even if it's a little bit more on the difficult side, because um, you just have the patience, you have the time. And so I think I acknowledge that I look back at Super Metroid with, you know, rose tinted glasses, as you as you could say. But yeah, from there, began a journey of kind of tracking down the other games I managed to find a copy of uh, Metroid 2 on a, the Game Boy and I bought it off a friend, which was cool. Didn't particularly enjoy it to be honest you know we can talk about metroid 2 another time but um like like you said zach the 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 older games have aged um pretty terribly um the first game in particular you know repeated rooms the slowness of the movement um those types of things 
Um, but thank God they uh, remade the first game at the very least. Zero Mission is, is fantastic and I highly recommend um, you play it. And of course I've played, um, you know, Fusion and Samus Returns. I've played the Prime series. I guess the only games I haven't played are Met- Metroid Prime Pinball. I know, travesty. <laughs> and uh, I haven't played Federation Force. And not because I <laughs> don't want to, but um, it's just... Seems like the kind of game you would enjoy more with friends, and I feel like the 3DS era has kind of come and gone, and I missed the boat. So, um, yeah, that kind of brings me up to um, you up to speed on my um, journey with with Metroid. And as far as where Metroid Dread kind of sits for me, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I I do feel like some of the older games have aged, and um, funnily enough, I, I quite enjoyed Fusion too. I really, really did enjoy it, um, Brendan, like you. But um, despite seeing so many similarities with Dread and Fusion, and potentially even liking Dread more than Fusion, like upon reflection, um, I think it's just my exposure to Metroidvanias in general that has kind yes. of changed my perspective of um, how I enjoy games and how I enjoy Metroidvanias in particular, which is why in my mind, even though I enjoyed it more than Fusion, I don't think I'd rate it as high these days. So it's an interesting thought. Now that's fascinating to hear and we'll jump into the Metroidvania aspect as our next point. But going back to my experience with the Metroid franchise, I my first experience was on the Game Boy Advance with Fusion. So maybe I have a bit of rose-tinted glasses there mm. with that game. But I, get, I borrowed it from a friend of mine who was a couple of years older than me and was really into the Metroid games. I think he had Zero Mission and finished that as well, but I never borrowed that from him, unfortunately. I... I didn't finish Fusion when I borrowed it that time. I think I got about halfway through or so and I didn't pick it up again until the 3DS Ambassador program where, well, Fusion was a um, part of it. So I downloaded that, I played through it, completed it, really enjoyed it. So, and I wanted more Metroid. So at that point, I also had Metroid on the NES through the Ambassador program and I managed to actually play through that through to completion with the help of a walkthrough because I don't honestly think in the modern era, you can actually play that game without getting frustrated and giving up unless you have a walkthrough <laughs> to just handhold you through the experience. And I actually didn't mind it. Like, it's clunky, as you mentioned, controls really poorly, probably hasn't really aged the best. But from a historical standpoint, fascinating to play. I then attempted to play through Super Metroid on the Wii U Virtual Console when they were re- released in really cheap Wii U Virtual Console games at one point during the Wii U's life. I think... It was some 30th anniversary uh, promotion. You, you might be able to correct me, Zach, but I think it was something along the lines of that. There were 30 cent Super Nintendo games for some reason. Yeah, I do remember that. I think I also picked up a couple during that era, but oh, you're testing my memory. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, I, I've played the other two Metroid games now. I've really enjoyed them. I should, be, I should really enjoy Super Metroid. Everyone loves Super Metroid. And <laughs> I got about half, at least halfway through, but I managed to soft... Well, kind of soft lock myself in that I ended up in one of the water levels without the, or what's the suit that you get? Gravity suit. Yeah. Without the gravity suit. And like, I tried to persevere to get through this area. And I think I got to a point where I just was stuck. And yes, I was on the Wii U and I think I had a restore point, but I think I kind of didn't make a save during my gravity suit less journey through this water stage (laughs) or water area. So I kind of was stuck and I couldn't be bothered. I, I wasn't motivated enough to start again, so I kind of abandoned the playthrough and left it there. And I guess I enjoyed what I played as Super Metroid, but 
I guess for that reason, it kind of left a bit of taste in my mouth as an experience. I definitely want to go back and give it another go because I'll probably have different opinions of it. But my thoughts was that I, I enjoyed Fusion more because I saw the Fusion, well, logically it was made nearly a decade later. It did have some better design choices just from a design perspective, if not from a gameplay perspective, because I think Super Metroid has some very tight gameplay design and some great level design as well. And it's not as linear as Fusion is, which I think one of the greatest criticisms of Fusion is that it's a linear game and it has a lot of story elements as well, particularly at the very start of the game, which I know soured a lot of Metroid purists off that game. (laughs) And then Samus Returns, I really enjoyed as well, actually. I I did understand the criticisms of the combat. Like, it uses the parry quite a lot. It relies on it a bit too much. Level design probably isn't the best and... The Ridley boss fight at the very end felt very shoehorned in, I think. (laughs) It didn't really make any sense from a story perspective, even though Metroid isn't particularly a story-heavy franchise, but... It, yeah, it was it was an interesting choice. And funnily enough, I actually predicted that Ridley would be the last boss of uh, Samus Returns, but yeah, we can get into that another time. <laughs> I, I was kind of surprised that Ridley didn't show up in Dread, even though because Craig did. Mm. I, I saw Craig, and then I assumed, oh, Craig's mid sort of early to mid game of Dread. Surely this is going to be Ridley finale, but well, spoiler alert, is not. Kind of glad he didn't He didn't show up, to be honest. <laughs> it doesn't need to be in every game. <laughs> I agree. And I guess where I would, yeah, after this like long meandering journey through my Metroid experience, I, I'd place Dread near the top on it personally. Like, I really enjoyed it. I think we can get into arguments and conversations regarding, I guess, what a Metroid game should be and whether it should be more of a Metroidvania, whether it's now more, I guess, a linear speedrun experience or what it actually stands as a franchise in the modern era. But overall, it was a well-designed game. As I previously mentioned, there's definitely some areas where it could have done better. And I think there's definitely some pacing issues towards the middle to, I guess, latter halves of the game. But Mm. I really enjoyed it. I'm tempted to do another playthrough on hard mode just to see how I go and if I can get my time up because I did go for a 100% clear playthrough which i've managed to do some of those shine spark challenges were a bit tricky but got them in the end oh yeah but overall i i definitely is it's a game i would recommend to most switch players at the moment if there's friends i have that have a switch i i've been recommending it to them saying oh you should check out metroid dread i think you're going to enjoy it because i think it is in 2021 it's definitely a good experience to play through pivoting to the metroidvania genre as a whole you mentioned that you're quite experienced with the genre as a whole now after your, I guess, after you fell in love with that first game you played, Josh, Super Metroid. So I guess, firstly, what what are some of your favourite Metroidvania games? And I, before we go on about how Dread falls into the genre as a whole, which it'd be good for you to, I guess, give your thoughts on, what do you think makes a good Metroidvania? Because it is a, I, I think there are some particular parameters around what a Metroidvania is and how whether a game executes those elements well or not. Yeah, I mean, a- apart from the, the, you know, the actual definition of the Metroidvania genre, which stemmed from, you know, part Metroid, part Castlevania, um, I mean, personally for me, I've always felt that it's, it relies heavily on, like, the exploration factor. 
I mean, what separated it from like the typical plat- platformers of the same era was it was that it wasn't just a straight up left to right experience. You know, there was verticality to um, to the environments you were, you were mm-hmm. navigating. You could go up, you could go down, you could go left. Uh, for goodness sake. Um, but then um, it just gave you this feeling that you're, you haven't been placed in a particular location by a game developer, um, but rather you've stumbled upon uh, an environment that kind of naturally sprawls out um, from your character onwards and it's up to you to kind of find out what's, um, you know, what's out there. And um, I feel like the games that do it best are the games that um, really do kind of just throw you into the thick of it and ask you to work out what's going on. Not necessarily from you know a strictly a story perspective, but um, you know from from an environment perspective, like what is this world about? What what am I doing here? And and how do I kind of um, progress through this world? You know the, the the typical calls to a Metroidvania game are um, hindering progression in one way or another um, until you find the necessary upgrade before you can then proceed, and perhaps a little backtracking is involved. Um, but it's kind of that, you know, that piece around memory and, and being able to kind of logically map out a place in your mind so that when you do stumble ac- across something familiar, you can go, oh, this is, this is like that, um, you know, that experience that I had earlier. Perhaps if I go back there, I can do something different. And so you're kind of um, like solving problems or solving puzzles, world-based puzzles on a more global scale with a, with a map in your mind. And so, yeah, to me, that's kind of what a, what a Metroidvania is. Um, and funnily enough, um, you know, speaking of Dread in particular, um, you know, hearing the premise that the game starts at the center of the planet, you know, back before it was released, you know, they told us that we, you get, you practically start at the center and you're trying to work your way out. Um, you know, it does ring familiar to, to other games, Metroidvania games such as Hollow Knight, for instance, starting at mm-hmm. the top and making your way down. Um, and, you know, even Ekin Silk Song, the sequel that's yet to be released, they're going for a very similar thing where you start at the bottom and make your way up. And so I was excited at that prospect. But yeah, interestingly enough, I don't feel like Dread really kind of captured that feel of navigating through an environment by yourself. And I think that's because the, the level design was so tightly structured in a way to push you in a certain direct, direction, even though you could um, you know, branch off, it still suggested heavily you should go in a particular way. And if you follow that river all the way, it will take you to the end. So, but yeah, how did you guys think? And I know I went on a bit of a tangent there, but um, what do you think about Metroidvanias in general? I think it's a good tangent. And before I get into the Metroidvania question, I think to jump off from where you left, I think you're exactly right with our dread structured in that it always felt like even if you went off the beaten path, even if you decided to backtrack because you had a new upgrade and you remembered, oh, there's a power tank or there's a missile upgrade in this section, I'll go get it. You could then go back to where you were and you would easily know where to go next. And if you kept on following the game, it it did seem to go very quickly. Like, unless you took that time to backtrack, took that time to explore on your own because you knew, oh, I want a few more power tanks before I get to this next boss or oh, I know all the bosses pack a punch in this game. I, I Yeah, we definitely need more health. So I, those upgrades are necessary for my success on how I play the game. Like that, that's the only, I guess, gameplay elements that really promote you exploring the, the world. There's There wasn't really that much else there, I, I felt. Otherwise, it was very, oh, go this way, there's a boss fight. Go this way, there's another boss mm. fight. And it seemed to snowball. I guess that's what I was talking about, that 
like middle to sort of second half of the game felt like it, it it really caught the momentum caught up with it and it seemed like this is going really quickly i'm going from this part of the game world to this part of the game world and it's it, it's very it was very sort of frenetic which i'd never really like fusion did it a little bit but i felt like all other metroid games i'd played was a lot more, a bit more of a slow burn which i guess is a funny comment considering no metroid game is particularly long like they're all mm. generally within like that's why they speed run they're generally all within a 10 hour like block you can play it through but i guess that that was just one of the sensations i felt what yeah. what did you think, Zach? Or were you happy with the pacing of the game? And did you think they'd promote... Well, not necessarily just the pacing of the game, but how it promoted exploration. Yeah, I was surprised in, obviously, I think pretty early on when uh, you're in that first area and the game quickly started gating you off from going back to spots because I was fully expecting uh, to have to do a, a thorough, you know, sweep or be given the option to a thorough sweep of the first sort of zone. I can't remember what its name is. You know, there's that bit where like this weird, like, I don't know, uh, plant-like thing sort of forms in the, in a tunnel. It's like, yeah, now nah, you're, you're stuck to <laughs> the right-hand right. side of the map. Go yeah. forward. So that was surprising, but I, I didn't mind it. And ultimately I, I think it helped me see my way through. I mean, sort of similar to something like Breath of the Wild where, I don't mind and I enjoy games that give me the option to explore, but I also appreciate giving me the option to quickly be like, okay, where's the path? Okay, there's the path and I can get back on it at, you know, my leisure uh, and progress if I don't feel like doing the full, you know, 100% playthrough or, or finding everything at this particular point in time. And that's sort of how I did play the game. I didn't do a ton of exploration. I think I finished with like, what, 30 something percent items or whatever it was, or maybe a bit more, but not a ton more. And I I thought, you know, that helped me because I could just keep moving from boss to boss, uh, power up to power up. And it, you know, kept me engaged throughout it. But I can also see why uh, it would be very frustrating if you do want to take your time and explore and you're not given the option to, uh, until much later in the game and as things you know eventually get to the point where you've got almost all the power-ups and there's very few roadblocks for you to uh, get around and, and complete all the areas so i'm not yeah it's, it's a hard one because it's certainly for me it made my experience a lot more enjoyable but it's hard to say that it was the right call for the masses if that makes sense i think for me it's um it's an interesting topic that we raised because it made me think about something a little bit differently and especially Brendan when you mentioned that you know you could kind of go from power up to power up and sure you have the option to kind of branch off into another environment to try and find a few extra missile tanks and energy tanks or whatever but it's an interesting point to make and I'm not saying that oh you know I've played a billion games and I have all the experience in the world but you know (laughs) once you've been playing games for a long time you you tend to kind of have expectations about certain things and especially in a series that I'm, I'm very familiar with, I knew that, you know, I can branch off from this and go and find a few missile expansions and, and, and energy tanks or whatever. But it's about necessity. I also don't feel like the game will be difficult enough for me to need those things. And so whilst I can go off and do them and maybe the puzzles in their own respect are kind of fun, I always felt like it wasn't something I needed to do. I had to choose to want to do it. And that was kind of taking me out of the experience as opposed to kind of confronting a challenge that was great enough to justify me going to have to explore and and get more power in order for me to progress, uh, if that makes sense. 
And so like you, I found myself kind of just barreling through the game, you know, telling myself that, oh, once I have everything, maybe I will go back, um, which I didn't end up doing. I started a new file in hard mode and, and started 100% there. But I ended up finishing the game with a fairly low percentage as well um, as a product of that. Um, and I feel like that in itself is not encouraging exploration uh, for exploration's sake. It's more like, oh, if you, if you want, you can do it, but this is the main game we've made. It's this, um, you know, fairly straight-laced uh, A to B experience. And if you really want to explore, you can, but this is how we want you to play, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. And I think that goes to the fact that it, it really doesn't stress that the, the exploration point that we hold up for Metroidvanias in general isn't, it's there in Metroid Dread, but it, it does seem somewhat optional, particularly with that heavy, I guess, speed run aspect to it. And of course, all Metroid games have been speed run. Like, we're not saying that, but it felt like the other games, you were, as you said, you were rewarded for exploration. You were rewarded in the original Metroid for exploration. If if you didn't explore in, Metro, in the original Metroid and get all the get as many upgrades as possible, that the very last section of that game when you face Mother Brain is very difficult. It's a it's a very tough boss fight, particularly with the controls taken in mind, and you really need as many missiles and energy tanks as you can muster to get through that. And if I think about all the other Metroidvania games I've played recently that I've really enjoyed. Uh, thinking of games like the... I haven't played Hollow Knight yet, unfortunately, because that would have been a good one to be able to talk about in context of Dread, because that is that is sort of seen as one of the best Metroidvanias in recent time from a lot of the enthusiasts and aficionados of the genre. But I've played games like The Messenger, which The Messenger is an interesting one because it is very much... It starts a game as a very 2D action game like the old Ninja Gaiden games on the NES, but about a quarter of the way through it branches off into a Metroidvania where there's time travel elements and it's it's a very fascinating game to play and I found it really enjoyable. The Blaster Master Zero games, play the first two on the Switch, those are solid Metroidvania games as well. Probably a bit like Dread in that there's exploration there, but I'd say it it does it is a bit optional as well. It's those were quite linear games in many regards. So like I, I see what Metroid Dread's doing, and it does seem to be on the lines of a lot of other Metroidvania games. In that, it does seem that some pay lip service to that exploration aspect, but they just from a I guess a level design point of view, it's probably a bit. Well, it, it can be a bit easier to just make a more tight. You, you tighten the gameplay, you make a more linear experience, and you can control mm. it and ensure that it's a finished, polished product. And I think that's what a lot of the metroidvania a lot a lot of metroidvania developers are going towards that direction not not to say there's not metroidvanias where exploration is sort of core to the experience there's plenty that still do that but i think there's there's definitely two i guess it's it's trending away i think some are going to the more castlevania experience before your (laughs) symphony of the night where it was a lot more linear What's your thoughts on the genre as a whole, Zach? I don't. I, I do you play many Metroidvanias, or does that exploration like aspect put you off generally? Because you said you prefer more tight, linear experience in many ways. Yeah, uh, I've tried many because uh, <laughs> we, my, me and my friends do like a games club, like book club for games, and Metroidvanias are often picked, uh, to say the <laughs> least. Um, so you know, I've played Hollow Knight, I've played uh, Guacamelee. I played Ori recently. 
uh, and the Blind Forest. We haven't played the sequel yet. And yeah, like you're right. They, it, they, some of them click quicker than others for me. Uh, sometimes I find, for me at least, I can get a bit frustrated with them, uh, either because uh, the progress is... It's hard, I find myself getting lost and not sort of advancing at a pace that I'm happy with. Or alternatively, depending on the one, the difficulty can be quite up there because a lot of modern ones also take on a bit of a Souls-like to throw another um, random genre term <laughs> out there uh, aspect um, where they do want to amp the difficulty up a bit and not with a ton of uh, either checkpoints or alternatively it's it's more like you go back to the start and you can go back and get your, um, your souls the, like Hollow Knight sort of does. So there's only been a few that have stuck with me. Probably the three that I just mentioned are the ones that I have managed to sort of see my way through uh, eventually. Uh, not without, you know, Hollow Knight I started like a couple of times and it wasn't to the second time that I actually was motivated and enjoyed it enough to get through when I got a bit more familiar with, I guess, the controls and the physics of of, of the knight himself. Uh, and then on the flip side, like Guacamelee, I think was a good example where the resistance there isn't particularly high in, in comparison to some other ones in the indie genre. And it was a, it was almost a bit more towards that dread level of, uh, at least for me, like you can pretty quickly just beeline down the, yeah. um, the main story mm-hmm. if you want to. And, you know, probably suitable for that more jolly, vibrant, colorful theme compared to like a hollow knight or, uh, for example, and then Ori, I think, uh, which is the most recent one I've sort of finished was, good as well um but surprisingly difficult for again it's like graphical style like i can see a lot of kids thinking oh this is cute and pretty and then picking it up and they'd struggle a heap with it um but uh, i think for me again the the floatiness of ori sort of was fun and i think that's a key element for me with what makes a particular metroidvania stick is not just the world but also how fun it is to move around in said world and so that's why some of these ones stick out to me as the ones I stick with, because again, Ori was quite fun to move around. Uh, Hollow Knight, again, particularly towards the end of the game, he is quite fun <laughs> to move around as that little bug dude. Uh, and I think that's a, another reason why I think Dread for me stood out, because again, Samus, particularly towards the end, and this is probably true of almost all the Metroid games, uh, is very fun to move around in an environment with. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a bit of my experience, but. I wouldn't say I seek out Metroidvanias, uh, or at least the, you know, I'm not sitting there uh, checking indie websites <laughs> looking for the next one, uh, partly because my friends will make me play them anyway at some point. Um, yeah, I, I tend to go for more linear experiences. That's partly also just due to, I guess, what, you know, these days I just like to finish games. Like, I just want to get them off my desk. Uh, it sounds weird, but it's fun to, like, complete them. So anything where I find myself getting too caught up in the weeds, I, um, I quickly bounce off and then move to, to something else. If you um if you particularly enjoy movement, then um the sequel to Ori in the Blind Forest, Ori in the Will of the Wisps is exceptional in that respect. Uh, I don't feel like I've played a Metroidvania where I felt like the the movement was as diverse and smooth. And and I mean Dread is is exceptional as well. It it plays like a dream. So I think you definitely would would enjoy it. Yeah, it's definitely on my list because I think the 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 story element of of Ori is very very touching yeah. <laughs> to say the least it so it's up on my list for sure one more i forgot to mention we played uh obviously i tried and have not finished uh was symphony of the night mm. and 
I know that's a pretty controversial topic because it's it's obviously held up there with Super Metroid. Super yeah. Metroid, I think, <laughs> as the as one of the best in the biz. Uh, but for me, and it, this comes down to that uh, frustration element, I just found the save rooms were too far apart sometimes between mm-hmm. the the particularly challenging sort of boss fights where I find myself either having to do a lot of backtracking uh, or make my throw through like a mini boss and then back to the boss only to die within two seconds on the bit that, that I found frustrating, um, which is not a problem Dread has because it's, it's taken up a pretty modern day uh, checkpoint system. Um, and I think similar to those indie games, some, some of them are better checkpoint systems or not better. They're all uh, at this point choices of, of you know, game design uh, rather than limitations of a system, but some of them have quite lenient ones, I should say, uh, similar to Dread. If it's okay, I also wanted to add just another point on the difference between linearity and like traversal through an environment. And I know that it sounds like this this uh, this podcast so far has been very much on the negative side of Dread. Uh, don't get me wrong; it's just it's as I dwell on these things and I think about them, they just kind of come about. But um, in in general. A dread to me. I want to feel like I'm traversing through a real environment. Uh, let me try and explain what I'm trying to get at here. Like dread, dread feels kind of artificial. Like someone mentioned um, that it's a product of uh, Planet ZDR um, being heavily terraformed, and so I'm not. I'm not so concerned with the types of environment, um, but rather ZDR itself feels like it was built with the player in mind rather than the inhabitants of the planet. If that makes sense. Like there were too many moments where I said. Uh, there were too few moments, I should say, where I said, like, ooh, this is where they do X, or this is where they harvest their food, or this is where they, you know, where they, they stay or they sleep. Like, there's not much environmental st- storytelling on ZDR. You know, and maybe maybe it's a testament to good level design, but every tile feels intentional, and it takes away from that natural flow of the environments. Um, it, it is proof that they prioritise movement and guidance um, and pacing rather than uh, exploration and discovery. Um, there were a few times that I actually stumbled into a place and thought, okay, this is really cool. It just, it felt like every environment was a reskin uh, of the last. It's like a puzzle for the player to navigate rather than a real place. And I feel like I had that problem with Samus Returns as well. Um, and I think this is a symptom of me playing through um, games like Hollow Knight, where you really do feel like this world exists, you know albeit in a cartoon form and it obviously doesn't but like it, it feels like you're discovering a real place rather than a, a developed one now what you just said very much makes me think of samus returns and especially because i was watching king x's video on this 2d metroid series that he put on youtube king x is a great youtube channel if people listening haven't checked it out yet he does a lot of deep dives into a lot of nintendo games like donkey kong country metroid Zelda and the like, but he mentioned that in Samus Returns that pointed out that, oh, look, there's this area you're in and then you go through one door and you're in an environment that's covered in ice and then you go through the next door, adjacent door, and now there's a fire room. It, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it didn't particularly make sense. It wasn't a cohesive environment you were traversing through, to your point. It very much felt like this was, it, it's manufactured just for you to go through and for you to get through as quickly as possible and built the sustained challenge more than this. It didn't really feel like an organic natural. Of course, it's not going to be organic natural environment because mm-hmm. it's a construct in a video game, but it just, it didn't have that feeling. It felt more that, oh, this is another room I'm going through to get from point A to point B. 
like I think really the only area in Metroid Dread that felt like it was a cohesive area was that I can't remember what the area was called, but it was the one with all the Chozo elements in the background, like the throne room and all the statues and the like. Yeah, Ferenia or Elon, one of the two. That one felt like you were traveling through something natural, but even then, it's a point on our discussion point for um later. But particularly the Emmy rooms felt very. unnatural they they did not Mm -hmm. feel they felt like challenge rooms it didn't really feel like (laughs) something natural you were um traversing which doesn't really make sense from a story point of view because the idea of dread is that these emmys were sent by the federation and they got reprogrammed on the planet so there shouldn't really be these specific areas built for them to live in which which is what it felt like yeah that's it and i mean look Dread did do it a lot better than Samus Returns. One of the small touches that I really appreciated, as much as it felt, you know, artificial, was that when you're nearing uh, one of the elevators or um, one of the, um, I don't know, those tram-looking things in Dread, the environment started to shift very subtly towards the place that you're about to go. For instance, coming from the going towards the water area as you were kind of approaching the elevator um you know they started adding water the coral started appearing on the rocks and stuff so there was that kind of like environmental change via proximity that i really liked um it it did make it feel more natural but yeah it it wasn't particularly enough for me but i definitely appreciate the um the effort that they went to and the the emmy rooms yeah we, we can discuss that in general i agree with you it kind of does take you out of the experience when they're trying to push this narrative of these Emmys were sent here, but then there's also this space that's been allocated to them on this planet, you know, not just one space, but, you know, six or seven spaces, each with their own associated Aurora unit or central unit, whatever they call them in these games, that are the only kind of way that you can (laughs) take them down. And like, you know, they're made up of the most invincible stuff on the planet, but then like the door to that Aurora unit isn't. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, it just takes you out of the experience a bit when you start asking these questions. In the end, it is a video game and you're supposed to enjoy it. So, yeah. Talking about enjoyability, I think one aspect that has been discussed a lot when it comes to Metroid Dread is the game's difficulty because a lot of people are holding this up as a difficult game. And I think for a lot of that, it is the boss fights because I guess from your first encounter with a lot of these boss fights, some of them can be quite difficult. But from my point of view, I very much believe that they're very well-designed boss fights. And especially with the checkpoint system, as you discussed, Zach, that it's a very generous checkpoint system. So it very much does encourage trial and error with the bosses. And yes, they can be quite difficult from first encounter, but it's very easy to learn their patterns because all of them have discernible, repeatable patterns. And it's. I, I thought they were quite well designed in that it is. They're encounters that you can easily learn and you can prevail over if you put the effort in. And I, I thought they were a good amount of challenge. And when it came to the other aspects of the game, I, I didn't think it was particularly difficult outside of some particular Shine Spark puzzles that were a bit frustrating if you don't understand how Shine Sparks work because the game doesn't really um, tell you how it works aside from, oh, if you tilt down the stick while you're running you get get a speed boost and you can store that speed boost into a shine spark but it doesn't tell you about how it works on slopes it doesn't tell you that you can use it in midair or as a morph ball it 
it, those are aspects you either have to read on the internet or find out yourself. So it was a bit clunky in that regard, but I thought from a difficulty proposition, I found it quite enjoy. I, I thought it was a right level of challenge versus difficulty. It didn't seem too egregious. There wasn't anything that felt unfair. What What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I agree. I mean, coming back to, I think, an earlier point, you know, Josh made was like, you never felt like you needed to go back and get more energy tanks or missiles for better or worse. Cause yeah, once you sort of got the pattern down, you could, it was pretty much, you just kept dodging and not getting hit and you would get there in the end. Um, and it, you know, it's, you could feel every time you hit, you went back in, you just got that little bit further, a little bit better. Uh, and before you know it, like after, for me, it was probably on average, you know, 10 to 15 tries over the, over the various bosses each. Um, you, you just got there and it was, a, they were all relatively quick once you learnt every sort of, uh, you know, move they can do and how to avoid uh, or counter it depending on, again, the boss. Uh, and I think, yeah, that was really well done. I mean, I've seen someone compare them to Mega Man bosses, which uh, I, I definitely see with, say, like the robot Chozo. Mm. They super mm-hmm. feel like Mega Man bosses in hindsight, the way they jump around the room. And, uh, yeah, it made it super enjoyable for me who, at, you know, at those points, I didn't want to go and explore and, you know, grind, not grind, but like find more level ups to try and beat something. I was happy that I could just keep going again and, you know, smashing my head against yeah. the wall until eventually it broke basically. Uh, and that, that was a lot of fun and kept me, uh, motivated to keep going. What about you, Josh? How does, how did you find they compared again, both, I guess, to, other Metroids and, and other games in the, the genre these days. Yeah, look, for me, what makes a good fight is is one that you you learn how to play rather than just try to brute force it. And, you know, when when you're dealing with, um, you know, bosses that have certain patterns and, and, you know, and you die and it gives you a chance to kind of go at it again relatively quickly without too much punishment, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that, like, of that learning experience, you know, you feel like you're growing as a player, that you're getting better at understanding the game, uh, not just like, you know, mashing the controller faster or, yeah, you know, topping up on a whole bunch of materials so that you can then just blast away without needing to actually think about strategy. So Dread, I feel like it had a pretty good balance. Whilst I didn't find it particularly difficult, I did appreciate that, you know, when when you made a mistake, you were punished for it. Like, you know, some sometimes you get hit for a full two or three E-tanks worth of, of damage. And to me, that's really cool. Like, it's like, look, this shouldn't be super difficult. But if you if you make a mistake, you, you're going to cop it. And, um, and I didn't mind that at all. I actually kind of appreciated it because, you know, the more you play these types of games, the more you, you kind of get used to how they how they work. And personally... I I didn't get bothered by repeating something over and over and over again. It's it's why I like roguelikes so much. Like they don't bother me. I don't care if I die. Um, but I do have friends that get very frustrated very quickly if they die too too frequently. So I understand that kind of um, that need to kind of put you just before the boss fight again and go here, try again. Don't worry. You, you know you'll get there. Dread, it, it found a nice balance, I think. Um, you know, I enjoyed the, the last fight in particular. Mm-hmm, I, I feel like was a highlight uh, of the game when it came to bosses. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good fight, multiple phases. You, you have to learn uh, a few different things. And then, you know, you have, to, you have to deal with a fairly lengthy battle at that as well. You know, you get through a couple of phases and you're still going and uh, riding Razor's Edge. 
you know, of course, once you've learned it, 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 it's not a problem at all. But that first experience is definitely a more memorable one. So I think they did a good job. Um, I always ask for a, a more difficult challenge, but I think, you know, I'm a masochist. So um, <laughs> probably probably shouldn't listen to me. Yes, your dream is to fully merge the Dark Souls genre with Metroidvania, clearly. <laughs> Metroid Souls. <laughs> it's coming out. I do think one point you made there, because I think, yeah, the, the whole uh, mindset towards dying in a game is, I think, really, I think, key in terms of the division I've seen amongst mm. friends and just Twitter, I suppose, uh, from certain groups. Like, I, I've seen some people who have been massive fans of Metroid for years, and for some reason, this is the one which they're like, this is too difficult, and I and they t- throw in the towel. And I've been trying to figure out why, because again, to me, I, again, it, it's not that difficult. Yes, you die maybe 15, even 20, 30 times against a boss, but you can get there, right? Uh, and I think it's just got to do with that mentality of not wanting to hit that death screen. Like some people just can't, they just don't want it ever. Like they want to be able to get through a game, seeing it zero to, to maybe two or three times. And they sort of view, I guess, that first time you go into a boss fight is kind of unfair because like... I'd be shocked if there are many people that beat, you know, every single boss the mm. first time they played Dread without seeing them ever. Like, because I certainly walked into most of them and in the first second, except maybe the first boss, and I just got destroyed yeah. by something. I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> like, I don't think I can do this. And you go again and again. You're like, oh, there's the gap. There's the, you know, oh, I got. To remember, I just got this power up. That's probably what I need to use. Uh, and you, you sort of get there. Um, and I think that, is maybe what makes or breaks it for some people versus, I don't know, do you feel like the older Metroids, the bosses felt a bit more, I don't know if, what the right term is, but they, they give you a bit more of an opportunity to get in there and learn the patterns rather than just sort of slamming you down in the first hit and then you need to really pick yourself back up and restart and go back in. I don't know if either of you can speak to that more than I can. I think Mercury Steam did a good job of going, look, you know, we're putting people right before the boss fight room. So we can hit a little harder, you know. The, the earlier games weren't easy by any means. And in fact, in some cases, they were particularly punishing. Um, there's a, there's a, a well-known example in Super Metroid against a, bo- against a boss called Phantom, mm-hmm. yeah. um, who is the boss of the wrecked ship. And um, when you first kind of make it there, um, you know, going through a gauntlet of, of grapple blocks and um, through like a mini labyrinth, you realize that this place is out of power and you can't actually save outside there's a safe station right in front of the boss room but you can't use it until you beat the boss and if you die in that room um and it's not an easy fight especially the first time it puts you right back at your ship which is a billion years away and it's a it's a really interesting point that you made uh, uh just before about um certain gamers you know not being a fan of this type of thing or, or, or difficulty and i was talking to a friend about this very recently because he's a new gamer he's only started playing games in the past year and he calls it that it's, he says that it's unfair or that the game is punishing you. It's like, why should it be, why should it punish me? I'm trying to learn. Um, and that every loss is like, it makes them feel like they're a bad player or that they're, they're not good enough to be playing this game. It's a really interesting mentality that I just, I no longer have because for me, I'm like, cool, this is an opportunity to grow. This is an opportunity to mm-hmm. learn, not the game is punishing me because I'm unable to beat this thing. So Dread, I think, definitely does it a lot better. If you fail, hey, just give it another crack, no punishment. It's not even like Hollow Knight. You don't have to travel from a bench that's two minutes away. Um, You just do it again. So I think the balance is good, and I think newer players 
shouldn't have as much of a problem, but it's interesting to hear that you that you've you came across that. I think you identified the problem, Josh, in that I think a lot of gamers now it's not like back in the Super Nintendo days and even the sixty four days that a lot of games did have that element of these tough challenges in the game and you had to keep on throwing yourself at it, learning the different intricacies and having that feeling of achievement when you prevailed over it. Yes, there's still some modern games like, it keeps on coming up in this discussion, but like the Souls series that does have that level of challenge that you have, and and even Monster Hunter to an extent, that you have to learn the fights, you have to learn the movements. And once you've done all that, you can prevail and you can enjoy that challenge because it's legitimately tough and you feel like you've achieved something. But I think there's a lot of gamers out there that they they do want I'm not going to I'm not saying they don't want any challenge of course I want to you, you can't have a game without any sort of challenge there has to be some roadblocks from getting from point A the start to point B the end but I think I do think that there are some gamers now that they don't want to have to battle that boss your 10 15 times as you discussed Zach they they want to maybe mm. try it like 3 or 4 maybe no more than five times and on the fifth attempt they clear it and they can move on to the next challenge. They they don't want to be stuck in that grind, even if it is a... Even if, as we've all mentioned, it, these are structured... They're well-structured boss fights. Mercury's team have done a really good job and I think they learnt a lot from um, Samus Returns, which, as I mentioned, I, I enjoyed, but some of those boss fights were a bit clunky. Like, th- th- there were elements of a well-designed boss fight, but I think... They knocked it out of the park in dread in comparison. And I think it is that tough but fair mentality, I think, that dread really nails. And I I think that's a really good aspect. But I think the reality of the modern gaming scene is that a lot of people don't particularly want that level of challenge, which is completely fine, of course. I think there's always going to be games where people who want that sort of challenge can go find it. But I think it's, it's interesting that Metro Dread is seen as, I guess, it's seen as a very mainstream, I guess, big release, and I think it's getting a lot more players than a Metroid game has ever really received, maybe outside of Super Metroid, which was a particularly popular game on the Super Nintendo. But it does seem like a lot of people are trying Dread, and I think the overall feedback is it's quite positive, but some people do struggle with that difficulty, and I think it's because it's not particularly the type of game they are either experienced with or generally choose to play. I think it's that's probably one of the reasons would be my thought. So we've talked a lot about the gameplay of the game, and I think we probably will we'll talk more about it, but I think to split up the discussion points a bit, if we break down the different aspects of Metroid Dread, one of the ones that keeps on coming up in discussion alongside the difficulty is the story, because Metroid Dread is seen as, I guess, the end of Sakamoto's Metroid series that started with the original Metroid in the 80s on the NES that this is seen as I guess the end of that particular Metroid saga that began with Samus encountering the Metroids and then I guess exterminating the Metroids in Metroid 2 and then having the last Metroid at the end of Metroid 2 that goes into Super Metroid where she confronts Mother Brain again and then and then Fusion of course where Samus encounters the X-Parasite and this is well, this is a direct sequel of Fusion. It picks up where Fusion left off. And I guess to kick off, Metroid isn't particularly a series that I guess is known for the, its story. Like, yes, there's a story there, but let's be honest, it is very inspired by Alien. Like, there, there's clear Alien parallels in Metroid as a 
as a franchise, I think Sakamoto's admitted as much in previous interviews. But I guess starting with you, Josh, what's as a, as the resident Metroid fan on this podcast episode at the moment, what's your thoughts on, I guess, the 2D Metroid saga story-wise as a whole and how Metroid Dread manages to cap it off? So, look, I don't... I don't think Metroid is very well known for its storytelling, which I do think is different to a story in itself. Because mm-hmm. for me, the Metroid story, or you know, the history of Samus and 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 her upbringing and and that whole thing, I feel like the games never really did the backstory justice. Isn't it all in a comic somewhere? Yeah, it is. It is in a comic somewhere, and um, you know, they try to tell it through certain screens in some of the games as like ending rewards or whatever. But there is there is a good kind of, you know, albeit typical revenge story there, but it's interesting for a Nintendo game to have a character that has a backstory, you know? Like, you look <laughs> at any of the other characters, they just exist, you know? But Samus has uh, an upbringing. We have, you know, real kind of stories about when she was a child and, you know, how she grew up and who raised her and what she did uh, in between missions. And, and it, you know, we got a lot out of um, Metroid Other M in, in that regard. And whilst I didn't particularly like the direction that the story was heading in, in Metroid Other M, I think that's more about character development. Yeah, once again, I just don't feel like the games have done that core story justice. I think the most I ever really enjoyed the story was in Fusion. Uh, and I think that that kind of introduction of saying, you know, first I did this and then I did that. And then, and then um, you know, I returned to SR388. Like, I love the concept that the, the Chozo created the Metroids to kind of get rid of this natural parasite and then, you know, became a problem for themselves. Just like in The Simpsons when they released the gorillas to kill, like, the whatever, the tigers or whatever, and then they wait for the winter to, to take them out. But, like, you know, it, it was an interesting story. As far as Dread is concerned, I feel like the plot points themselves are perfectly fine. But uh, I had the same problem with it that I had with uh, Game of Thrones. I think they were just trying to tell it all a bit too quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to wrap things up uh, for this, you know, the Metroid saga, saga, as they said, that this is the final game in that series. And it, it literally came out like, you are a Metroid. You're a threat <laughs> to the galaxy. Uh, but you need to you know, follow me. I'm your father. Like, it came out real, like, I don't know, forced and... And uh, with a lack of emotion from Samus, not that I want any more emotion after, <laughs> after Met- other, other end. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was an opportunity to give her a little bit more character. And I loved that um, she spoke Chizodian, if that's what the language is called. Um, I thought that was a mega cool touch. And that was actually, you know, it was quite special to, to kind of get a glimpse of Samus that you don't typically get. But I do wish that they just spent a bit more time, maybe even over the span of the previous games, kind of leading up to this moment, you know, that could have made it a little bit more special because it definitely felt like at some point they did kind of drop that hint that, you know, Metroid was the Chozo word for Ultimate Warrior. And, you know, it kind of lends itself well to this prophecy story of someone coming into into being that would become the Ultimate Warrior. And But the delivery... Uh, I just, I really didn't like those, those lines and the wording that they, they chose of, you are now a Metroid Samus <laughs> and you are a threat to the galaxy. It just felt, felt a bit uh, forced and it's a bit of a shame. Well, exactly. What about you guys? What, yeah. What did you think? Well, I think when it comes to 
I agree with you that there is differences between the story itself and how the narrative is told. And I think I'm always a big believer in both games and books and movies that showing rather than telling is always a much more effective tool for old storytelling and narrative design. And to your point, I think Mm. that's what Dread does. It it just tells you, it's, oh, you're Metroid now. You are a threat to the galaxy, (laughs) which I think my the biggest problem with that that I have is that I agree with you that it is very Game of Thronesy, as in all the Chozo stuff in the Metroid series, like it has all been very poorly told. Like, yes, there's comics, but yep. at, to your point, the only reason we know that the Chozo created the Metroid was through Samus Returns. If you, I think, get 100% completion, you get to see some still images of the Chozo like herding the metroids like animals like that's the only time a game in the series actually tells you that like you wouldn't know otherwise it it's very much a gameplay first franchise which is odd in in regards to your earlier point that it's one of the few nintendo franchises that does have a backstory does have this story about who samus is and the environments Mm. she's exploring then all these other games don't it just plops Mario's just plopped in the Mushroom Kingdom and has to go defeat Bowser <laughs> to save a princess. We we know nothing about the Mushroom Kingdom, the political, the socio political background of it, or or the economy <laughs> or whatever. It just it just exists, and there's these Goomba things and turtles that you jump on. But like that's it. And even with Zelda, like the whole point of Link is that there is no backstory. That it is just this mm. proverbial legend of time that appears every now and then to save. High rule from Ganon, like or Varty or whoever the threat is in a particular game, like that is, that is the point of Link. Like there's there's no real backstory. There's no re- like Breath of the Wild tries to give him one, but it's a bit ham fisted. Whereas whereas Metroid, there is one there, and I think it is just so clunky. I think unfortunately, and like the games like Fusion tried, Other M tried, and Dread like tried to insert a story, didn't really work. So it feels like Dread kind of felt obligated to insert a story to cap off the saga. Correct. But I doubt if you asked Mercury Steam, was like sto- was the story design of this game ever a priority? I don't think anyone there would say. Well, I'd firstly, I'd be interested to know if they did the story or if that was Sakamoto and a team in Nintendo itself doing that or if, if they did what their directions were or if they were told, oh, this is what you need to show. But like, we're not giving you a... Bu- we're not going to give you any like voice acting budget or... Uh, any priority on the story elements we want you to focus on gameplay first which is of course a very nintendo design philosophy so it'd be very interesting to find out yeah i'd I'd very much think that it would be a nintendo decision when it came to the story in particular they're very precious about their characters i would say so i I have no i have no idea but i would say so i'd agree i mean even when you consider this was like originally in development as a ds title at nintendo um i'm sure a lot of the story was present there and then carried over to to this iteration of the final product i suppose but it's interesting to, to hear you guys both hating that one line about metro uh samus being the metroid i i had to say even though it was cheesy i did like the callback just to the you know original sort of introduction of what metroids are like just the the one-to-one almost in terms of the sentence was um was very uh i mean it was on the nose but uh you know i i, I did appreciate <laughs> it uh it, it does make me curious though what the japanese or the spanish even given it was a um 
Mercury Steam is Spanish, I suppose. Uh, what those translations or those those versions were like in terms of the writing uh, compared to the localized, because there's a very uh, interesting. And unfortunately, I forgot the YouTuber's name. If either of you remember, feel free to to mention it. But um, a YouTuber did a really interesting comparison of uh, Other M's, you know, uh, Japanese yeah. version to the to the English, just to show how a lot of the issues with the story stem from the choices by the localization team. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to see how much of that is playing a part here. Uh, you know, again, particularly that line that you guys called out. Is that just you know? treehouse having a bit of fun or does you know the japanese version also make a similar reference to how metroids were were introduced back on the on the famicom uh back in the day i suppose so yeah very curious to see uh, you know in 10 years time someone do a, a comparison video if, if not already yeah i have i have no doubts that the um you know the writing can be better but even the delivery as far as like animation and the set pigs go like it it was just a bizarre series of events having this conversation and then Samus realizing that something's off and then she shoots the computer <laughs> and the computer reveals a backdrop of a sunset vista. It it just I didn't get it. I I I I, I really didn't quite <laughs> get it. <laughs> but yeah, I've also seen that other M video and um I actually didn't uh watch it until very recently, the past month, and I was uh yeah, shocked to see how different the two were and how much better it would have been if if I was able to play it um, with the original script. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And I, I certainly agree with the sentiment. The last, what, five minutes of the the story, I guess, of the game uh, certainly felt like it was throwing a lot at you <laughs> at once. Yeah. Uh, I almost wonder, was it necessary to make uh, Raven Beak her... Uh, what he calls dad in in some ways, I guess a donor. I don't even know what the correct term is. Uh, you know, was, was that a necessary plot element, or could that have just been nothing? Like he could have just still been a bad chozo that she fights, and just I guess the reveal that she's a Metroid was, I to me at least, a big enough of a of a bombshell. Uh, and I still think you know overall, even if the delivery was bad, the concept of her becoming a Metroid was a really fitting sort of end to her arc in a sense uh at least uh, you know when i think brendan when you were going through before like the history of the metroids and everything she's been through like her becoming one just kind of felt in hindsight oh yeah that's 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 why one way for it to end like uh, a weird way <laughs> but uh certainly uh not the worst way yeah and even the um you know the callbacks even the the, the first lines of super metroid you know it it references the last Metroid, and the last Metroid has been a key um, part of the game series from from the second game onwards, where you know Samus lets the last Metroid live, and um, the series kind of stems from that. And then having her be the last Metroid, it, it's also kind of a nice throwback to to that moment. So I'm I'm a hundred percent cool with that. And like I said, I think I think the plot points are right. I really do. I just do think the delivery um, could have been a lot better. And as far as um, you know, Raven Beak, whatever his yeah, name Raven is, Beak. being Samus's father, like you know, I I would have been content with just knowing that you know his blood was given to her, or like you know that you know you have my blood in you, Samus. You know that's why you have a fighting spirit. Not that they have to go down the route of making it so literal and tangible by saying father. And you could go down the route of saying, oh, maybe this Ra- Raven Beak character has like you know a weird ego and some kind of, you know, 
weird thoughts behind Samus, uh, you know, being her biological daughter because maybe that's how the Chozo think or whatever. But in the end, uh, once again, you, you can't help but think of Star Wars, right? <laughs> and, exactly. And, just, and think of that that typical plot twist of I am your father, uh, which does unfortunately, you know, cheapen it a tiny little bit. Oh, yeah. At this point, it's a terrible trope. Though I, I did like exactly what you guys were discussing that, it does end with, well, Samus is a Metroid and also that she merges with the last ex-Parasite as well. So I, I did think that was a perfect cap mm. off to the last four games that it incorporates all the major elements into, I guess, what has made Samus Samus in those games in that the the entire point of Samus <laughs> was, yes, she was a, this Chozo-trained warrior or whatever her background is, but she's been gaining all these abilities like against her will pretty much during all her journeys that, oh, yeah, Samus has now been infected by an ex-parasite. She's been infected by Metroids. Okay, now, now she has all these different powers because of that. And you get that feeling at the very end of Metroid Dread where, well, you've apparently fully become a Metroid and you have all those powers and you're trying to get back to your ship before the planet explodes. I think that was a great moment as well from, a, I guess, a gameplay and story perspective. Yeah, especially the, the the escape. I mean, uh, you know, every good Metroid game has a good escape sequence. And whilst I didn't think they had a proper justification for why the whole planet exploded, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was expecting that kind of escape sequence. So I I did enjoy it. And um, yeah, holy cow! From a uh, from a DNA perspective, Samus is uh, pretty messed up. <laughs> when you got like two types of Chozo DNA, human DNA, Metroid DNA, and X Parasite going on, that's a uh, that's a lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And it was it was really interesting. I, I, one thing I'm curious about. So you know, at the end, uh, like the the end end as you're flying away in your ship, and the um the like X Parasite version of uh, Quiet Robe uh, comes, and I guess infuses you uh with you or with samus to to sort of quell some of her metroid dna i've seen a lot of people not understand that uh i got it but i'm just curious what was your reaction at the start did you get why that worked and the logic there or were you equally like why is this happening and why did why was that the thing that cured her i'm yeah just curious to see what your first thoughts were in my mind, it, it offsets the yeah the, the the Metroid's like DNA itself. I mean that we've seen the Metroid DNA offset X Parasite, um, you know, infection. So I assume it kind of works vice versa. Once again, it it felt very much added in right at the end as a oh don't touch your ship you're gonna do something. But conveniently enough, someone's here to to give you a you know big old chunky boy X Parasite that's gonna help you out. So um, but yeah, I, I, I wasn't confused by that. It, it, it made sense to me. I had a different take on why it happened, but I'll let Brendan speak before. Yeah, interesting. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. For yeah, well, well, my take on why it happened was I read it as it was very much offsetting what well, Adam slash Ravenbeak said when, oh, you are, a Met you are now a Metroid, you are a threat to the galaxy. I saw it as well. Oh, it's very much offsetting that. Samus is 100% a Metroid now because the ex mm. the last ex-parasite through Quiet Robe has quelled the Metroid in Samus. So I guess I'll, I'll let you say what you thought, Zach, but I, one point to mention about the story is in that context, what confuses me is why did the ex-parasite as Quiet Robe reactivate the Emmys? 
that's something that yeah. didn't particularly make sense to me. Yeah, we'll need to figure that. We can discuss that in a second. I took it that um, I thought it was because of Quiet Robe's DNA as to why mm-hmm. Samus became better. Because he, he, I think it's a he, maybe it's a she, I don't know, mentioned that she or he was one of the Chozo race that controlled Metroids. Like, that was their special ability. So I thought when that expat's parasite plus that DNA came into Samus, it gave her more control over her Metroid DNA. But again, maybe you're right. Maybe it was just the ex-parasite. I think why I wasn't sure about that was, I mean, obviously I haven't played the previous ones, but throughout the game, you get two or three, maybe four big ex-parasites in, you know, infuse into you after beating certain bosses uh, and they didn't seem to help. (laughs) So uh, that's why I assumed it had something to do with quiet robes, particular Chozo DNA, I guess, like filling up that uh, vial in mm. the the cocktail of <laughs> uh, Samus's DNA pool, sort of balanced her back out a bit more towards the uh, I don't know if humans the right term anymore, but whatever she was originally. <laughs> yeah. Um. Pre full Metroid mode. That's a fair point. Um. And it does raise other questions, and I I will I won't dare go down the route of trying to work out how certain species DNA affects people because I definitely don't think they delve too deeply into it. But, you know, one thing that also kind of confused me was uh, one of the plot points of, yes, the, I think the Toma, is that what they were called? The Tomas, the uh, Chozo created the Metroids and so they they had uh, like instinctual power to be able to control them. Yes. But then, and perhaps you guys can answer this because it's something I completely missed, but why were the Metroids trained to be, to target Morkin Chozo genes? Because that, that came up a couple of times, right? And they were saying that, um, you know, that's why maybe that's why uh, Samus's powers uh, laid latent uh, as time progressed because her, um, you know, Morgan genes were keeping it at bay or something or other. Did I miss something in that kind of realm? I, I think it was just so clunky in its uh, explanations that I, I, I don't think it was ever really sufficiently explained as to how the whole DNA aspects worked. Aside from that it existed and that there was all this sort of intertribal Chozo politics going on, it was never really discussed as to why. Just that, oh, they created the Metroids because the Metroids could stop the X-Parasites and then, well, clearly from Metroid 1, somehow the Metroids got out of control and they needed to be stopped. And then because Samus wiped out all the Metroids, it allowed the X-Parasites to grow again, so... It's just all a lot of um, us just trying to piece together what happened. Work I don't think it's ever really explained sufficiently, honestly, unfortunately. I'm almost certain that the game told us that Samus had the Toha genes in her in addition to the Morkan genes prior to ZDR and that the Toha genes are what kept uh, the Metroid kind of uh, DNA in her body from completely taking over her initially um probably have to look into it further but then yeah that that raises the question of when she goes full metroid is it the x parasite offsetting her abilities or is it the uh the more toha genes getting added to the mix to help i'm not 100 percent sure but um i'm sure it makes sense to someone probably sakamoto Sakamoto. yeah (laughs) just being like oh yeah this makes perfect sense everyone's gonna get it Exactly. <laughs> Maybe in the Japanese translation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there'll be an art book out there somewhere in like Akihabara that'll explain it all. 
Yeah, it is interesting because it's it, it's one of those series where, or particularly in this one and probably other Rem to an extent, it feels like they want to expand the lore, but they also either don't at the same time or they just haven't got <laughs> quite the right balance of, of how to do it without, I guess, interrupting the gameplay in a detrimental way. Cause, yeah. yeah. Or Miyamoto's in the corner saying, you can't add any more story. Stop Stop yeah. making more story. Stop writing. Strip it out. <laughs> yeah, take uh, it out. You can only have toads and goombas. You're not allowed yeah, anything exactly. else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I don't know if we're done with the plot, but I'd be keen to start talking about the the Emmy, which I believe, you know, obviously give us the Dread name, or at least unless you can think of another reason it was called Dread, I I'm just assume it's the Emmy um, and their areas. I think that's what Sakamoto's, um, well, in the interviews leading up to Metroid Dread's release, that's very much what he was inferring, that the entire point of the Dread concept was that you'd have these I don't know if they were ever always called Emmys, but that you'd ha- you'd have this constant presence that be, I guess, a constant threat throughout the game that you'd have to confront, and that that's how it got the dread name, is my understanding. So I think it, they are integral to the identity of Metroid mm. Dread, is what I'd argue. Yeah, I would say mm. so. Yeah, so with that in mind, because like it's interesting, because I feel, and you guys will be able to speak to this better than me, the concept of like the stalker enemy is not one that really featured heavily until Fusion, is my understanding, with the, uh, what, what, S, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. S-A-X. The X, yeah, SAX. Um, yeah, and, and to an extent, there was, like, that one boss fight in uh, Samus Returns, which I guess isn't really a, a stalker anymore. You're just running away from the, the drilling drilling one whose name escapes me at this point the in time. Digger Nort, yeah, the Diggernaut, I believe. Yeah, the Diggernaut, that's it. Yeah, like, do you think, like, that's, that I guess first off that that stalker style enemy being a prominent feature is was the right call to keep pursuing that path after fusion or would you have preferred I guess it just be left as a, a relic of fusion and and not readdressed here in in dread Brendan I'll let you go first on this one. Oh, all right well as as I did really like fusion I guess I'll start there in that I found that the um, SAX in fusion like, yes, it did chase you, and there's a few, I guess, set-piece moments where you have to run away from it, and you can't, no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to stop it, so it is just keep on running to the left and avoiding it. It didn't particularly feel like a threat. Yes, if it caught up to you, you'd die and have to start the sequence over, but it, it did feel a bit tacked on in many regards. It, yes, it was there, but it was only for, for one or two moments in the game. Same with the driller bot in, or sorry, driller nought in Samus Returns. It, yes, it was there. Yes, it did chase you, but it was just a sequence. It wasn't really core to the gameplay or the identity of the game. Whereas, it, whereas I think in Dread, it did become part of the identity. In yes, they are in Dread. It did become part of the identity of the game because although that yes, there is sectioned off sections where you face the Emmy. For me, anyway, it gave me that feeling of adrenaline when you entered one of those rooms and you knew, oh, I'm going to have to get through it. I'm going to have to just push through and get to the end or avoid this Emmy because, yes, you can counter the Emmy, but it's not always going to be successful. And, and I think as we've discussed in our Discord chat, apparently it is a, it's not always the same time timing that counter. It can change from Emmy to Emmy. And even I think the same Emmys can be slightly different in the timing so it is quite difficult to pull off every single encounter so 
there is that real threat there that, yes, it very, it very much feels similar in every single area that has an Emmy encounter, but I felt it did add a bit to the game because I think, as we discussed, as a Metroidvania, Dread doesn't really have that exploration-first perspective that perhaps Super Metroid had and perhaps or games like Hollow Knight have, of course. But I think instead it did go for that linear experience. And I think in that, in such a viewpoint that it is a more linear experience with, I guess, optional exploration, that the Emmy sections very much does break up that linearity in that, yes, the Emmy rooms are linear. There's there's exits and there's entrances and those are all plotted out. It adds that extra, just the feeling of tension I enjoy personally, because I won't say stealth elements because the, the issue is that the Aeon ability that lets you go invisible is pretty useless when it comes to Emmys. Like, if you're in particular points in those Emmy rooms, it can save you from being spotted, but there's a few times that if you try to, like, just crouch in a corner, irregardless of whether you're visible or invisible, the Emmy's still just going to walk into you and instantly kill you, which happened to be a few times, personally. So I did find that I think perhaps from a gameplay perspective they did want it to be a bit stealthy, but I guess I don't, I, I'd be interested to hear what you two, how you two experienced it, but I personally didn't really find it. I didn't really find a stealth approach helped all that much when it came to getting through the Emmys. Personally, I feel like the, um, like the stealth aspects and especially the Phantom Cloak were kind of counterproductive to what the game was trying to do. And I think what the Emmys excelled at was the chase sequences. I almost preferred to be seen by the Emmy so that I could, you know, make a beeline to, to somewhere to be, to be able to avoid it or, you know, be caught in a narrow kind of environment and either slide under it or jump over it or, or maneuver my way around it. And I felt that lent itself very well to the, to the flow that the game already had outside of those uh, regions where you're constantly kind of moving relatively fast. So I almost never used the Phantom Cloak. It's worth mentioning that I feel like Sakamoto has had a hard-on for this this kind of uh, concept for a, for a long time. And, I mean, you can even see it in Metroid 2 uh, with Metroids placed around the map. And and Metroid 2, more so than Samus Returns, uh, was scary. You'd enter a room and they weren't afraid to put a Metroid right there. Like, intentionally, right in front of you, the music goes... And it's, it scares the shit out of you, sorry to say. <laughs> but like it, this, this concept that you are navigating this environment and you could stumble into a domain of something that wants to kill you, it, it's very, very similar to, to you know, the SAX in, in Fusion. It's similar to, in a way, the deleter in, uh, in Other M. You, you have this, this thing that you don't know that's trying, you know, that's out to, to, to get you. Um, even uh, Metroid Prime, you know, I'm not sure if you've played all of them, but like, especially in the in the sequels with Dark Samus uh, kind of showing up every now and then, it's like you know that this thing is out there somewhere in the world, and that you're going to stumble upon it, and it's going to be an encounter of sorts. And I feel like he's used that repeatedly um, in his games. Um, the Emmy in particular, I I enjoyed them. I think they I think it was fun, and uh, like I said, the chase sequences were quite enjoyable. In fact, I was actually half expecting and kind of disappointed they didn't take it a step further. I mean, you both played Fusion. Um, there's a moment in Fusion where they mentioned that there's possibly multiple SAX roaming about the station, and it's kind of a harrowing mm-hmm. 
discovery because you realize like crap like uh, dealing with one is a problem let alone dealing with a, with a handful of them cloning themselves repeatedly and personally i only believe there's one and that goes down the another trail of a conspiracy theory but um i was half expecting it in, in metroid dread for there to be a moment where adam would tell you that the emmy have broken free of their confines and they can run into you anywhere and that would really put you on edge navigating the environment and and not knowing that you could just stumble into one of these things loose uh, i was actually hoping for that i thought that's what they were going towards honestly when quiet rope deactivated the emmys and there's those two regions you go through where you can see mm. the deactivated emmys you know that they're going to be reactivated of course but i i, I thought they were going to be a bit bigger than just being like all the other emmy areas just you encounter them later in the game because they get reactivated at a certain story point. Yeah, definitely. What do you reckon, Zach? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I, I enjoyed them as gameplay moments because they were just a new type of, in some ways, puzzle. Uh, and I agree, I much prefer running past them, which is why I found the one, I think it's the purple one, uh, might have been the blue one. Either way, the one in the water, basically, where it's like you just, outrunning mm-hmm. is almost not an option because you just are too slow uh, if you don't get a good head start. A little more frustrating, but, you know, eventually you, you work your way through it. I think my only disappointment was, and it kind of ties back to the story, is it, they while they obviously each had a gimmick, they didn't seem to evolve beyond what they were too much uh, by the end of it. Like, I, I was kind of expecting, it, you know, like the, the brain mind control boss things i forget what the head units or whatever Mm. they are i thought they would get a bit more complicated and a bit more challenging to fight but you know maybe there were a few more things on the screen but ultimately they felt like pretty you know just pushovers you walk in shoot them a bunch and you break them and i I just thought that might have gotten a bit more challenging or a bit more involved as we got you know through the series of i think seven or so emmys by the end of it in particular i mean i found i don't know what happened but the 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 non-event that was the red Emmy effectively. Um, well, it was cool yeah. that it, you know, the explosion. Um, I wonder where there was something happened here where they ran out of time and they had to cut a full Emmy area to make it, make a deadline. Cause I don't know, again, as someone who isn't super caught up on the law, uh, I was kind of hoping we were going to see like one of these brains kind of be like a pseudo mother brain. Cause like they kind of had a similar vibe to me. Um, and that never panned out and they ended up just being yep a bunch of security robots that this guy reprogrammed and there wasn't another another twist or uh element to them beyond beyond that really uh so that's my only real disappointment uh from a i guess a their implementation into the game it is worth mentioning that uh you know mother brain was initially a, a chozo uh creation like metroid's uh, which seems very susceptible to being hacked by every race on the planet, uh, from space pirates <laughs> to other Chozo. Um, but this, the Galactic Federation did kind of dabble in uh, replicating these these machines or, or biological supercomputers, which is why you ended up with Aurora units in, uh, I believe, Metroid Prime 3. So it wasn't too much of a surprise to see like Galactic Federation artificial intelligence floating brains thing. And it 100% is a throwback to Mother Brain, especially because in the room um, you're having, uh, they're called the rinkers, the, the little discs that get fl- uh, thrown at you. And uh, like basically in the, in the final room in Metroid 1 and in Super Metroid, uh, that was the defense mechanism for Mother Brain, both the rings and the, the little turrets. 
So they were definitely calling back to that, yep. um, which I thought was a very nice touch. Not that it makes a hundred percent sense, but <laughs> yeah, either way, a nice uh, bit of fan service there. Yeah, I think that really just makes it to me a little more disappointing that rather than fighting another robot Chozo in lieu of the Red Emmy, it wasn't like, again, the actual control unit yep. goes like, actually, no, I'm better than the rest. I'm the the queen of them, and I'm gonna give you a, a you know, Mother Brain esque. Uh, boss fight, which I thought would have been a, a really cool one. That would have been sick. <laughs> and I mean, uh, like you like you said with the Emmys being a little bit of a pushover, like what I felt like was a bit disappointing was once you finally got the Omega Cannon uh, and then you confront the Emmy, like you start shooting at it and it literally slows down. And, and you know, chalk that up to, oh, I'm getting pelted in the face by, you know, barrage of bullets. It didn't felt like you were in a particular, like, threatening situation that they're slowly coming at you and you know you, you get as much time in the world as you want to be able to kill them i almost feel like it would have been more aligned with the gameplay if um if you were able to fire at it at a pretty standard rate say for instance missiles but that the enemy didn't slow down so you need to get away fire a few shots dodge it get away fire a few shots dodge mm. to kind of keep that interaction of, of cat and mouse going for a little bit longer because it felt like as soon as you had a nice stretch of the room it's over like you if you you can get it done you, you're not going to miss your shot for the most part i just felt like it could have been done with a little bit more intensity if that makes sense I agree, because it was one Emmy in particular. I can't remember what colour, but it was in the Emmy room where there was the sliding mm. grapple hook mm. that took you across the room. And I eventually found that that's what you had to do. You had to go across that grapple room and let the Emmy go on the roof and you had a long enough corridor to shoot its face to kill it with the Omega Cannon. But in that area, I tried to do the shoot it a bit and dodge, and that's where I realised that, oh it doesn't accumulate the damage you're doing to the face. It, Correct. Well, basically, it wears away instantly if you don't keep up a constant barrage, which I agree with you. If they had ensured that it didn't fade, that it, it just accumulated and kept the Emmy at normal pace, well, it would have been more of a challenge. You would have had to keep on running across the areas, trying to snipe at it to eventually defeat it. I think there would have yep. been a lot more tension there that would have been a lot more enjoyable, I think. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. Yeah, you're both right. A hundred percent. It was a interesting choice the way they handled it. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see a an in depth interview one day where someone deep deep dives with Sakamoto or Mercury Steam to find out why that's the route they went versus yeah, just slowly chipping away at it, run away to the next room or something and, and keep going at it. So yeah, another mystery we'll never know, probably never know the answer to. <laughs> yeah, I get the feeling maybe they assumed it would be more tense to have this thing slowly approaching you and you going, come on, come on, come on, I can do this. You know, that kind of vibe going. But it yeah. just, yeah, it didn't do anything for me and maybe it did do something for other people. I did have that sensation for maybe the first one or two, yeah. but I think it would have been good if they mixed it up. Like, have every Emmy encounter slightly different just to keep things interesting. And they, they did try that with, you know, different different powers, but I didn't feel like there was a huge difference between them. Even the yellow one, yellow Emmy, which, you know, had speed booster, moved slightly faster. I would have preferred that they all just moved at that speed naturally. Like, that was, that was a, <laughs> a good level of interaction, you know. And then there was the ice one who freezes you from across the room and that was mildly frustrating, but hey, at least it posed a little bit more of a challenge. Um, but they could have done more. They really, really could have. And, you know, Sakamoto has been 
wanting to implement this mechanic for so long. Uh, you know, his words, who knows, maybe he just didn't deter from the original formula he had so long ago uh, and make it a little bit more, I don't know, interesting for this day and age. I guess going to questions, because yes, for the first for blowing cartridges, we did try to reach out to our, I guess we can call it our Discord community, and we asked for any listener questions, and we actually did get one, and that's from Guggenheimer, who we had on as a guest for our GameCube episode, which we hope that everyone has listened <laughs> um, at this point when you're listening to this episode. And in a very contrarian uh, question, as as is Guggenheimer's style, he did ask, well, it's not really a question. He just, well, it is actually a question. He supposited to us, I quote, the songs are pretty bad, but which one is the worst? So I guess taking that question, it's probably worthwhile for us to discuss the music a bit for Metroid Dread, because we have been a bit critical, but I think overall the three of us really enjoy Metroid Dread. But I think one of the major criticisms that has reverberated about the game has been the musical score or perhaps the lack of a musical score. Because a lot of Metroid games, particularly the Prime series and even Super Metroid and the like, are known for having quite good tracks in particular moments in the game, quite an atmospheric musical style that is very effective in in key moments during the game. And I think personally, outside of the final boss fight against Ravenbeak in Metroid Dread, where I enjoyed the musical track for that encounter, it did seem to be, there wasn't really anything memorable about it. I'd be interested to hear what the two of you think in terms of the musical score. Not memorable is pretty much the right term. Um, which is, I guess, a good thing and a bad thing. No, it's not a good thing. It's just a bad thing. I should be, I should say. But you know, when I listen to to Guggenheimer's question, when he says, "What's the worst track?" I I don't know because I just can't remember one being so grating or you know horrible that it stood out. Um, nor can I remember one that was so good that it uh, stood out. I mean, I mostly remember like the you know remixes or redos of old series music which I, I mostly know from smash brothers to be blunt um popping up here and there but it wasn't even particularly like stunning renditions of those tracks <laughs> you know again particularly when you've got smash ultimate sitting there with some really amazing <clears throat> remixes of of classic metroid tracks uh yeah it, it was pretty non-remarkable i would say i um was particularly disappointed with the music and Guggenheimer will listen to this and, and know that I've talked about it multiple times. In fact, I've gotten around to uh, creating my own uh, Metro Dread piece of music, which I'm not sure if you two listen to. No, it not yet. Two minutes and I was just literally slapping the keyboard and it sounds like a, <laughs> a song from the game. But uh, yeah, I just found it to be severely disappointing. I mean, the, the, look, the series is not known for its music, right? Like, Super Metroid has a, a few a few great tracks. Even Fusion has a couple of good tracks. The Metroid Prime games are kind of this standalone uh, offshoot that have, in my opinion, great music. But, you know, as far as the mainline games go, it's never been about it. But it is kind of disappointing to have to navigate these environments with generic kind of background um you know drums kind of booming away and weird kind of chromatic like progressions and and there's no structure or melody to the song right like you, there's no catchy tune that you could you could whistle to yourself 
you know, there's very, very few cases where, where that's actually the case. It's very much sporadic. Uh, you can just, you can, the, the, the MIDI quality is kind of palpable. It doesn't feel like it has a level of polish that other games when it comes to music has. And yeah, that's a big, it's a big shame because I feel like they really had a good opportunity to kind of bring some more of Metroid, Metroid's identity into the music uh, that they didn't capitalize on. So bit of a shame. I'll track down that uh, song that I did and I'll flick it through to you too. I'll insert it into the episode. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, it can be right. It can be right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've covered most of the aspects of Metroid Dread as a video game, I think a pertinent question to ask: Would we want Mercury Steam to develop a third 2D Metroid game? Because if the answer to that question is yes, which personally for me it would be yes, because I think they have shown quite a big advancement in terms of quality and just improvement in game design from the first Metroid game they did, Samus Returns, what would you want them to change? What would you want them to improve upon? I know we've discussed most of those elements over the course of this episode, but if there was, I guess, three particular points you'd want a future 2D Metroid game to do better than Dread, what would those points be? I'll start with you, Zach. What what would you want them to improve since, I guess, you this is your... This is the Metroid you've enjoyed the most so far. What would they need to do to make the experience better? Well, I think as we sort of said, number one, I think if you're going to have another Emmy-style concept, or if it's not Emmy, like some sort of like, this is a shift to like this particular type of, of mode, whether it's a dread mode or something, um, I just think do more to vary it would be great. You know, whatever that is, I can't give you specifics because I don't know what they're going to do yet. But uh, yeah, I, I don't want to just sort of see seven of the same concept with uh, a couple of tweaks, but uh, nothing major changing in, in some ways. Uh, you know, try and evolve it a bit more each time, I think would be a key one for me. Uh, just to keep it fresh uh, and not that it wasn't engaging in Dread, but um, I fear that if they try to make another Metroid game, and if particularly if that other Metroid game might be a bit longer uh, than Dread was, uh, it could get quite grating if they don't sort of try and keep the concept advancing a bit more throughout the game. So that's probably one of the main areas I'd love to see some uh, attempt at approving, I suppose. If I was to say one improvement off the bat would be, as we just discussed, well, a better musical score. So if that is to get the composer of Prime and tell him to go crazy or, I, I don't know, just put a greater emphasis on environmental music. I fully agree with Josh that in a lot of the 2D Metroids, a musical score has never particularly been a strong point, but it's been able to nail just that atmospheric feeling with those handful mm. of core, like, memorable tracks that you remember in those key moments. And Dread failed to do any of that. Like, it was just sort of background elevated music throughout that existed but you could have easily played the game in handheld mode on your switch without any sound and listen to a podcast or your own music in the background and you probably you would have the exact same experience which for me is the definition of a poor score for a video game because i think we've discussed this previously zach in any type of game no matter the genre be it animal crossing or metroid dread or an age of empires like the music is important. The music really draws you into the experience. And I think if I was to change anything, I think number one would be to improve upon that because 
I think we can all agree Metroid Dread's a good game, but it could be even better. And I think that's one of the aspects that is a massive failing on their part. Yeah. And to, to build upon that point, because my, my first one was going to be the music as well, you know, good music really tethers itself to a moment in a video game, mm-hmm. whether it's an environment or a story point. You know, they work hand in hand to kind of make sure that you 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 remember this this feeling or this this moment, and without that musical audio the audio side of it, and you're you're relying solely on visuals, you you don't make that the same the same level of connection. You know, I, I remember walking into Fendrana Drifts in Metro Prime for the first time because there's a beautiful cutscene mm-hmm. as the music kicks in and it's a lovely song, and um, even games where the visuals aren't special where the gameplay isn't special like um you know like undertale for instance has exceptional music and the music can can do things that other parts of the game cannot make you feel things and make you remember things in a certain light and it's just a huge wasted opportunity to not even have you know anything remotely uh, resembling that in metroid dread you know a couple of people mentioned that they enjoyed the, the final boss theme and i'm glad i really am for me, it wasn't particularly memorable, but that would help solidify that situation. You know, the, the final boss room, that fight, the, the music happening, it kind of consolidates it into a nice little package. Uh, so, yeah, definitely next time I would look at just, yeah, either get the same composer to have a real think about what he's trying to achieve or um, get someone on board who has a vision for what Metroid should be about from an audio perspective. If I was to choose a second point, I'd actually say that, as we discussed earlier, I think the Metroid series is ripe for more story elements. Because, yes, Other Room put a lot of people off. I still haven't played it myself. Well, I won't comment directly on what Other Room tried to achieve and how it executed that. But I definitely think that now this particular saga is over, that there is room for them to grow aspects of the Metroid franchise, things like the Federation and its role and other threats in the universe like Prime has done and just try to tackle that in a cohesive way. Like, they've shown a willingness to put voice acting in the game. They've shown a willingness to have a voice actor for Samus, albeit in a language other than English. So what direction they want to go with that, like, it's up to their creative choice, of course. But I definitely think that, yes, it's a gameplay-first franchise, but I think that the story can really... I guess build upon what makes Metroid great, and it can re- it can really improve the package as a whole, as long as they don't do another other M. So I guess it's a bit of a cautionary request, but I think that is a point they could develop a lot more and execute a lot more because they don't even have to go all the way that other M did. Just take what story elements in the narrative design they implemented in Dread and just finesse it, improve, tighten up the writing a bit, and get out the clunky those clunky phrases that were that are at the very start that a lot of people a lot of metroid fans upon booting up the game commented on that exposition at the very start when you're when the game describes what's going on in the universe and just those are all aspects that can be finessed and just improved without that much effort on us like surely so i think that's definitely an area they can improve upon in the third game Zach, any other points that you'd raise that you'd want them to improve upon? I don't know if this is an improve upon, but I think what I'd love to see, uh, this is maybe controversial, uh, 
but I, you know, one of the, one of my, you know, I've mentioned before, first game I ever played Banjo Kazooie. Uh, I love the sequel, and what the sequel to that game did, which was very interesting, is it didn't take away any of Banjo's abilities. He just got new ones in the sequel. <laughs> I think it would be very interesting to see a Metroid game, uh, or two D Metroid game, uh, just take place with Samus doesn't lose many or any of her abilities and just gets new ones. I mean, it might be weird because. Obviously, Samus is very fast and very powerful by the end of Dread, uh, and as she is in most, I think, games in the series. But I think it would be interesting to see how you can play on that concept of not having to strip her back all the way to to virtually nothing and instead try and evolve upon where she is. I think that would be a, a really fascinating concept, particularly if they don't wait another 20 years to make a new 2d metroid uh and then people are still kind of fresh on on dread and how uh to play as samus already i was gonna say like on that on that topic because there was another one of mine i'm glad that mercury same were able to give metroid a hard crack from a more traditional sense when it comes to you start out with nothing and you build up your arsenal and the arsenal is made up of some very very familiar but if not the same uh, weaponry that you've had in the past like I'm glad that they got that but I do hope that they've got that out of their system because I don't think it's super interesting to repeatedly have to pick up the bombs and then the wave beam and the speed booster and uh, the same items that you've been collecting on repeat um, it's the same reason why I'm over the Pokemon series to some degree like you know I don't want it to be I start out in a small town and I get to choose from one of three Pokemon and I get to go on an adventure to complete the Pokedex. Like, just something different would be nice, you know? It, open open your minds, expand your horizons. It's space, for God's sake. You can think of a whole bunch of different things that could, you know, uh, apply itself to Samus as far as the power is concerned. Uh, it doesn't need to be the same set. So, um, yeah, if they're going to do another one, and I truly hope that they do. I didn't really answer that question to begin with of do I want um, Mercury Steam to tackle a third game? And I 100% do. Their uh, evolution from Samus Returns to uh, Dread was huge. I straight up did not enjoy Samus Returns, but I did enjoy Dread. So already that's a big jump. So if they, if they take another leap forward that's similar, that would be huge. And if they were to kind of use it as an opportunity to say, cool, what can we do with Samus now? Uh, that's a little bit different to excite people, you know, to, to make it so that when they get a power up, they don't go, oh, yep, this is that one. They go, what's this? You know, that this is new. So definitely one of mine. I think that's probably the third one of mine as well, because there was definitely moments in the game that when you're going, you're starting out, you have no powers aside from this game didn't take away the missiles and you encounter different areas in the environment and you instantly go, oh, I can come back here when I have the Morph Ball and I can go down there. Or, oh, I'll be speed boosting here later in the game. And it just takes you away from the experience because you know exactly what to expect because it's just another Metroid trope. And if you thinking back on the game, it was definitely the opportunity from a narrative perspective for them to go away from that traditional Samus loses all her powers and has to collect them all plus some new ones and then you become ultra powerful at the very end because the first scene you see in Metroid Dread is that encounter with Ravenbeak where a Samus that's fully powered from the end of Metroid Fusion is no match for Ravenbeak. Ravenbeak utterly defeats her. So clearly 
Samus as she existed at the end of Metroid Fusion wasn't powerful enough to defeat Ravenbeak. And you have Adam slash Ravenbeak throughout the entire game telling you that, Samus, you're not powerful enough to defeat Ravenbeak. You only have a like a 30% chance of success or I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of that. Mm. Like there's those elements in there. So I think definitely, I think it is time to move away from that trope that we can't realistically have it. Well, we could, but I think it would be very trite if we had another 2D Metroid game where it was, oh, something happens and Samus has lost all her abilities. Good luck. Unless they went like the prequel, unless they went like the origin story prequel, like reboot, but that would just be a bit tired as well. I think if they're just trying to recycle the same, the same power ups. I, I definitely enjoy when a, a Metroid game does introduce new power ups and make them integral to the experience. And I think Dread did that very well, particularly with what's that Aeon ability called that gives you the wave dash? Uh, flash shift. Yeah, the flash shift. That that was very well implemented throughout the game. Maybe sometimes a bit too much in a lot of those like mini bosses and boss encounters, but I found that a very compelling power up. I think my my last thing would definitely be on the environments and the themselves. I think having them varied is one thing, but having them feel natural, or you know, even if they are built or terraformed, having them feel like real places rather than purely structured from a from a game perspective you know i I do i do want to get lost i want to be filled with wonder at at these different places that i'm exploring i want to i want to feel as though you know people have tread before me so to speak the prime series does it so so well and look they do have the benefit of having full 3d motion so i get that but i've seen it in 2d games before and you know hollow knight does do it very very well as well and I feel like the Metroid series could really benefit just from having a little bit more environmental te- storytelling, a little bit more natural environments just to make you feel like you're, you're, you're actually exploring somewhere that exists. That would definitely be my third one. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, it's like they've now got down pat or, you know, how to structure it for fun. Now it's how can you keep that cool structure from a gameplay mecha- uh, perspective but make it not feel so obvious, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's like mm-hmm. how you elevate that to the next level for sure. All right, before we wrap up, uh, I guess final thoughts. Why should people play Metroid Dread? How would you to summarize the Metroid Dread experience and why should people that own a Nintendo Switch play it? Zach? Yeah, look, I think Metroidvanias, uh, as much as I hate the genre name and prefer we come up with a less specific one referring to two games uh they are um you know a massive or they've become a massive part of uh the game scene a very important genre uh particularly in the indie space but but even beyond that you know you could argue stuff like like bloodborne and dark souls sort of are 3d versions of metroidvanias in some respects and and what they borrow from the from castlevania and metroid so from that perspective i think it's a really good chance to play you know, a classic Metroid game, learn sort of, I guess, where it all started, but with the modern trimmings that, uh, you know, we've we've come to expect over 30 years of, of this franchise, as rather than, you know, if, you're, if you've never played some of the classic ones, as I said, you might get a bit frustrated with uh, the lack of the checkpoint system, for example, or just 
the fact it can be a bit more uh, explorative and you could get lost. So I think it's a good chance to sort of get, you know, try out Metroid, see why it has spawned such a a massive sort of subgenre. And honestly, it's it's just fun. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I had a fun time and that's sometimes all the only reason you need to play a game is is you yeah, have have a jolly good time. Josh, how about yourself? Yeah, for me I would say that if you aren't super familiar with Metroidvania games, Metroid Dread is probably a, a, a pretty great first impression of, of, of what they're about. If you like, you know, fast-paced movement, action-oriented uh, oriented gameplay, then definitely going to be up your alley. And, um, yeah, just not having that, that experience of knowing what else is out there from, a, from a, a broad diversity of games, and especially if you haven't played so many of these types of games in a, in a row... I feel like it's a great uh, it's a great first impression for the Metroid series because it's it's difficult without being punishing, and it it feels good to play. It really does. Uh, the the movement, even if they just carry the movement straight into the next game and do a whole bunch of things on top of it, um, I would be more than happy because it's it's one of the best parts. So um, yeah, definitely recommend it in that regard. Yes, and I guess for my part, I'd echo a lot of what the two of you both said because I think. As a game, and particularly as a Metroid game, Samus has never felt so good to control. And even outside of Metroid games, it is just a really well-designed game from a movement perspective. It feels so good to move around as Samus. All the upgrades are well implemented, I think. And yes, there's some that are a bit superfluous, one-off, particularly some of those Aeon abilities. I think all the other upgrades and abilities that Samus have do come into the game at key moments and it feels really good. And also, yes, we, I guess, in some ways bash the hell out of the narrative design of the game, but the actual characterization of Samus is some of the best yet in a 2D game that you get the sense of that Samus is this ultra-powerful humanoid Chozo warrior that is a one-man army killing or one-woman army killing machine that the Federation is right to send into all these strange and kooky situations and she comes out on top and I think ultimately it is just a really enjoyable 2D action game like if we take aside the Metroidvania genre it's a well-designed action game that just plays really well and yes it has exploration elements and I know some people who enjoy 2D action games don't like that heavy Metroidvania emphasis on exploration and I think if that's the case Dread's probably the perfect game for you because you can play it like a you can easily play it like a linear 2D action game and well that's what a lot of speedrunners are doing with it. They just trying to get through it as quickly as possible and that takes out a lot of the exploration and that goes for most Metroidvanias. So definitely gets my ticker approval and I think most people should unless you really don't enjoy action games, I think Metroid Dread is a game that you're really going to enjoy. So definitely check it out. Just don't forget to shoot the ceiling sometimes or the walls you know don't, don't be david jaffe david jaffe <laughs> i was gonna say the room have you seen that beautiful follow-up clip of him saying there's there's so many other places you can go and then proceeds to like explain how good the game is at <laughs> directing you because everything else is blocked off oh really i didn't see that <laughs> Oh, it's great. He's like, okay, so this is the room. And now we go into the previous room and I can go this way. And then he goes in and it's blocked off. He's like, oh, okay, maybe not there. And then I can go this way and then it's blocked off. He's like, oh, okay, no, maybe I can't go there. It's great. You've got to watch it. 
Yeah, I think I got stuck in that moment actually, and I there was a bit of backtracking there until I realised the way it was supposed to go. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone, for another episode. If you want to find us, as always, you can email us at blowingcartridge at gmail dot com. You can follow us and contact us via Twitter at blowcartpod. You can contact myself on Twitter at tamazoid, and I'll be willing to talk to you about Metroid about rpgs about video game music and really gaming in general so drop me a line and you can find zach at egg on twitter as always and i'm sure he's always happy to take questions on a variety of things i'd let him describe what he wants mm-hmm. to talk about at a latter point but i'm not going to let him speak at the moment because he's he's um used up his speaking <laughs> credits for this episode i hear and josh do you have a twitter that you want people to follow you at or do you want to remain relatively anonymous actually i'm not really on social media at all so you know last words from me are um, play out of wilds it's a fantastic game <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it there's a strand we might get you back on in the future for <laughs> oh i'll happily be part of that four-hour conversation <laughs> <laughs> all right any final thoughts either josh or zach before we close things off Oh, just thank you for having the me baby. on. Oh, the, ba- <laughs> the baby. The <laughs> baby. My final thoughts are on the baby. No, I was just <laughs> going to say thank you so much for having me. It's always a, always a pleasure to be able to discuss these types of things with like-minded people and keep doing what you're doing, guys. You're doing a great job. <laughs>